Are you looking at Dagwood comics right now? <laughs> yeah, that was a classic. That was a classic bit. You know, a man makes a big sandwich. His wife comes over and is like, "Damn, that's a nice sandwich." And he's like, "It's almost too beautiful to eat." And then he, the next frame is, "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder." And then later, he's like reading the paper uh, on his lazy boy or whatever, and the wife comes over and is like, "Where's that sandwich?" And he's like. Beauty is in the stomach of the whole. <laughs> That's cute. That's very cute. Man. Dude's about them sandwiches. Why don't they make uh, comics like that anymore? <laughs> now it's all about... It's just memes. Now. Yeah. Yeah, now... Attention spans are down. Yeah. Um, I don't have time to think deeply about sandwiches. Everything's quippy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no long-form jokes anymore. Or long sandwiches. <laughs> hey, they still do long sandwiches. Okay, they don't do tall sandwiches. When's um, the last time you've, you've met a sandwich that was like just too big to get your mouth around? Uh, Most I feel like the it places that make ago. those sandwiches are cop lovers, and so I can't eat them anymore. Yeah, it's like so, not know, fair. Like Deli and Brew used to have like a sandwich, and it was just so tall. Yeah. But you can't eat that sandwich anymore because it's... Got bad politics. Yeah, it's got horrifying <laughs> politics. <laughs> So let's acknowledge our in our in studio guest today. Welcome, Dara. Thank you for joining us on Iron Weeds. Happy to be here. It's a first time, long time, right? Uh, uh yeah, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. But uh, Dara, you're a Troy local, and you're involved in uh, many of the same things that we're involved in, um, as well as things that we're not involved in, like um, the farm that you're starting. Yeah, I- I'd say uh, I'm a, I'm not a joiner. I'm a doer. So. So hmm. I don't I don't get involved in I don't like being a part of an organization. You're like, how do you introduce yourself? I'm like, I don't know. Don't make me commit. <laughs> All, always are good. Uh, and that's kind of how I feel about joining organizations. You know. Yeah, so they make you introduce yourself like at the beginning of every meeting. Yeah. It's really and, it's quite annoying. And then you have to go to meetings. Yeah. Which is, you know, where I think productivity went to take a rest. So Yeah. That's tough, you know? So I'm not a joiner. But, me either, uh, to be honest. I really, any organization w- that would have me, so why would I want to join them? Who, who's, who's that quote from? <laughs> is that from Mark Twain, maybe? I don't remember. No, I, th- uh, I uh, oh, damn it. No, I forgot. Yeah. No, it's not, it's, let's, go, let's go give either it to Mark. Way, whatever. It's Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, or they, uh, Abraham Lincoln. It's one yeah. of those. You're both mavericks. <laughs> Going against the that. grain. Mostly I just hate meetings. Really can't stand them. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, um, the correct take, I think. I think meetings should only really be uh, when critically necessary. I don't know, dude. There's a lot of socialists out there who fucking love meetings. They love a good meeting. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's people who think that talking about the thing is the same as doing it, which is not the same. Yeah, but... And that, mm-hmm. that's where meetings go to die. Like, you're just... I feel like there's, you know, some level of meeting that you need just to literally be on the same page and like have rapport and like know what you're talking about and like sort stuff out. But um, yeah, meetings for meeting's sake um, is something that uh, is very hard to stomach. But uh, yeah, so um, want to talk a little bit about your farm? Yeah. Uh, so I have a micro farm on a small lot in South Troy. Troy has a lot of property that they just don't know what to do with so they let you buy it for an obscenely small amount of money this is on the uh, auction list right yeah so i bought it off the city foreclosures auction list it's technically not an auction it's a bid system and the city council gets to decide whether or not you win your property so depending on 
how cute they think you are at any particular point, they may or may not choose your proposal. Right. But, uh, back in the day, before I started too much rabble rousing, they thought I was real cute and gave me a lot of properties that they uh, probably regret now. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. So I run a small produce market on a lot of couple days a week. And it's all pay what you can. And we have a uh, group of generous sustainers that kind of keep the project running so that we could just do the job of growing the food. So this is my third season. And um, my first season with water, so it kind of feels like my first season. It nice. feels like all the other seasons before that were just build up to the season where you actually had the right infrastructure to do your job. It's like Star Trek, thir- start on the third season. Yeah, I, if I knew what that reference meant, I'm sure that I would be. <laughs> for, first, sounds, first, first two seasons, not very good writing. Sounds well researched. <laughs> uh, so where where is this uh, farm located? Uh, it's south of the canal in South Troy. It is at the corner of Harrison and Second Streets, and you know it's like right before all of South Troy collides into Fourth Street, basically. Mm. Nice. And uh, so you have water now, like a municipal hookup or? Oh, yeah, I have municipal water. I've been trying to get water at my garden for about three years. And um, I didn't know this about municipal entities, but they all work on a shakedown system with the public. So they don't just like provide you the services that you're already paying taxes for them to provide. First, they're like, let's figure out how we can get more money out of you than we already are. So. There was like an elaborate series of system of extortion, which ended once my buddy Raphael just bought an excavator and was like, I'm a licensed plumber with the city. I can do this job for a fifth of what they're charging you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, great. That's awesome. It took me a long time to figure out, <clears throat> and I still haven't actually gotten an answer from DPU, why they were charging me two and a half times what they were charging all my neighbors for the exact same service. But uh when I finally asked the deputy mayor how I get that weekend discount that everyone else gets from the water department, that shit happened real fast. Nice. Oh, really? Uh. Oh, yeah, because I was basically, you know, after like two years of talking to every different department in the city, being like, why is this happening like this? Finally, it was just like, yo, Monica, Eileen McDermott, my council person, told me about the weekend discount that she got at her house. I'm like, when can I get the weekend discount? Like, I'm just looking to, you know, facilitate this water thing. And Monica was like, Weekend discount? What do you mean? Basically, it's a shakedown system that DPU uses. So they show up at your house. They say, this job's going to cost 10 grand. But my buddy can do it for you on the weekend for half that price. Mm. And so I feel like uh, I don't know why I never got to the point where they were like, wait, but this is the shakedown amount that like we're we're going to take for our side businesses. I don't know why I never got to that point, but... They never did. Hmm. I was like, you just, you stuck with that seven grand. So finally, when I told Monica, like, hey, I don't, I don't care if it's corruption, just cut me in, baby. She was like, what are you saying here? And <laughs> mm. water happened real fast after that. But huh. Raphael still had to buy a whole excavator and the city already owns several. So you just well, gotta wonder. I'm sure that'll come in useful in, you know, the coming oh my uh, gosh. decade. <laughs> it's literally the most useful thing ever. And he's already used it to make them so angry. So, you know, I'm, I'm pleased. You can count on Raph to make the city pissed off. Uh, it's literally happening all the time. In fact, yeah. on my way here, he's calling me. He's like, okay, so I have another situation. We need to draft another email. And I'm like, okay, let's let's do this. So at least three or four times a week, I'll draft emails for Raphael to send to all his antagonists. But I'll tell you what, the police officers spend a lot of time harassing this man who's 
like literally just trying to fix things in an unconventional way. Yep. So yeah, it's pretty outrageous. Well, you know, I mean, like, like the, the, hours jo- of their time a week. Yeah. Like hours. Well, because I mean, like the, their job is so hard and they're stretched so thin. You know, like they, <laughs> like how do you expect them to keep us all safe when they spend literally probably like three or four hours a day harassing this one guy? Well, so, it's a like, Spanish invasion, so they really right. have to keep the Inquisition down or something. I don't know. <laughs> sure, like, sure, sure. <laughs> As a Jew, I appreciate that. Are they surveilling him? I don't know what they're doing. They just, they're so concerned, I guess, that he's going to perform work on properties that he doesn't have a permit to do. And I'm like, that's not even a criminal situation to begin with. Why would the police respond to that anyways? Meanwhile, you have people who are like calling in about actual crimes and they're like, listen, we'd love to respond, but we're too busy, you know, harassing this person about a non-criminal offense. So... So do they just try to like pull his excavator over? Like what? I wish. (laughs) No, they, they really just like... I don't even know what they're doing. They go to his house and they yell at him about stuff, I guess. Like, what else do police do? I'll probably make it hard for him to get permits when he's doing work that needs oh, yeah. it. You know, I mean, and like, it's it's remarkable how politicized all of this shit is. I think that unless you've had significant dealings with the city, you really don't get, look, everybody's heard of corruption and knows that it happens. But like, until you've actually tried to get shit done with the city, boy, howdy, is it uh, made extremely clear yeah yeah exactly yeah Yeah, this goes all the way back to like 2000 what was it 2004 2006 when uh city code enforcement like told the sanctuary for independent media that their door doesn't meet ada requirements oh yeah did you guys hear about this so this was wifa bilal um uh, so there was this uh iraqi artist who had done two sort of um he reskinned a video game where you were supposed to. It was the army's video game where you kill Saddam Hussein, and he reskinned it so that you kill George W. Bush. Yeah, as yeah. an and ISIS he, fighter. Yeah, yeah. or well, ISIS wasn't invented. Well, yet, yeah, it was, you know, it was yeah, called like a knight in Baghdad. Yeah, 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 and and he was invited to RPI to do to for, for his art. Yeah, and uh, the the campus Republicans made a big stink, and Shirley Jackson kicked him out, and so the sanctuary took him, and then the Republicans followed him there, and they got the code enforcement to shut down the sanctuary because they brought him in. And a couple of years later, they won a civil liberties lawsuit. Yeah. He, he also did another controversial art uh, exhibit where he went live on, I think it was like YouTube or actually it was his own website called shootinaraki.com. Yeah. And he hooked up a uh, CO2 powered, like um, paintball paintball gun gun to a little turret that you could like aim using the web app. And then he just like sat in a room and was pelted with uh, paintballs for, like, some odd amount of time. And, you know, people could log onto the website and shoot an Iraqi. Like, if they really were all about the Iraq war, just because they wanted to fucking shoot Iraqis, like, he was like, yeah, just shoot me. Like, you know, don't don't actually shoot people. <laughs> like, you know, and uh, I, I thought about that a lot, especially in combination with his, um, his video game adaptation, because, like, it, I've been thinking about that a lot recently uh, because of all of, like, the shit going on in Kenosha, where, like, mm-hmm. people are, like, coming out with the battle armor, and they're looking like they're jumping right out of Call of Duty, like, into the streets, and, like, now two people are dead. Um, and I'm just like, fuck, these guys should just stick to gaming. Like, you know, like, just stay on Call of Duty. Like, what's what's wrong with that? Um, but I guess, you know, as uh, serial, serial killers say, eventually the fantasy is not enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... 
I would say for the same reason that you're able to play Call of Duty and yet uh, for somehow mysteriously not want to actually shoot people is probably the same reason that it's not sufficient for them to stay on Call of Duty. Mm. Um, you know, they, they have a they have a desire to hurt and kill people. So that's that is entirely different than enjoying a video game, it turns out, despite what the conservatives have been telling you for years. Yeah. Also, yeah. those video games are incredibly real and I didn't like them because I was like, this feels like killing people <laughs> i don't like this because i don't want to kill people and uh yeah halo that i remember that game oh um, yeah classic uh, definitely you know there were like bets that people had made they're like i bet you can't kill one person in halo before the end of the semester which had been like months like months of playing halo and i've never successfully actually killed anyone <laughs> 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 It's a. Uh, I play pacifist in Halo. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have all defensive moves. So I really want to talk a lot about Kenosha today, um, but before we get into uh, what's going on on a national uh, stage, we have Dara here, uh, who is with us at the protest last week, and you've actually been doing work in Barker Park with um, Kenneth Zioli uh, over the last several weeks, right? Yeah, actually, I got a call. Um, the morning, maybe two Fridays, not this past Friday, the Friday before that Kenny had been arrested and that we should come down to the police station with a lawyer. So I got I rustled up some lawyers and we, we went down there. Um, and then just this larger impromptu protest came as a result of that partic- once Kenny was released and it had been obvious that the, uh, that he had been harmed while in police custody, the whole day just kind of spiraled into a, I don't think anyone woke up expecting. So there were, I'd say, at least 150 people that came out to take the streets and protest police brutality, which was, you know, there hasn't really been any public protest focusing on police brutality since June 7th, since the big protest that uh, Troy hosted. And so it was kind of nice to see all these people still organizing about this issue and still ready to just be out in the streets at a moment's notice. So that was really cool. And I actually missed the part of the day where some of the most action was happening. So at at one point, one of the organizers decided that they wanted to take the march up to City Hall to confront Patrick Madden himself, Patty Pat. Because we were first at the police station and then it moved. Well, first it was Barker Park, then the police station, then back to Barker Park to fill out some paperwork. And then it sounded like. From there, people, yeah, made that decision to march to City Hall. And then from there to Freedom Square, close to where we're recording yeah. for, uh, what was it, the, is it, is that technically Story Harvest, or was that, that was a... No, that was, was some uh, event Freedom, uh, Troy for Black, I mean, um, the Sanctuary for Independent Media has been doing a health autonomy clinic, so kind of just prov- trying to provide people with tools to access better health in their own lives. So I think that Troy for Black Lives was... Uh, hosting that particular event and so it was like so there was this uh march up to city hall and while in front of city hall there was a small group of protesters i wasn't there but i think it was like maybe 30 people maybe not quite that many and they were in the middle of the street because city hall is basically just on the street there's not really any sidewalk in front of city hall anyway it's it's a dumb building but um, yeah city floor right it's not even our building we we tore down that building so While the protesters had clearly just, they're in the middle of the street. Most cars are just driving around the protest. It's a grid, so you just have to go one block in the other direction. You'll be fine. Um, But there was someone who decided that they did not want to go around the protest. And in their 
sick muscle car decided to try to drive into the crowd, which, you know, caused the crowd to be agitated. Uh, that's definitely that's definitely a move if you're going to drive your muscle car into people. Uh, and so now there's all this fallout with the police who have decided definitely that they have a victim in the owner of this car because his windshield got damaged and maybe some of his tires were slashed. I don't know the details of it. I only saw like one picture from the aftermath. And I haven't actually watched any of the video from that because I just I've heard enough and I don't want to see it. But um yeah, the police are just all about getting justice for this victim because as they said on the phone the other night, um there's no there's nothing that anyone could do that would justify property damage. The and cop I, said that. Yes, a, a detective sergeant Ralph, and I forget his last name, but it's something like Swarthmore, even though I know it's not the college. Uh, you know, but so it's, it's Detective Ralph. De, uh, it's Detective Sergeant. Detective Sergeant. Yes. Ralph. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a detective and a sergeant. Show some fucking respect, David. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost uh, demoted him in my brain. And so he says that he has all the video of that day, and all he can see is. This this man being attacked in a public street. So, you know, I guess they took a side. Maybe a good opportunity to remind folks to uh, never put any video with anybody's face in it online, publicly available, ever, ever. Uh, because I believe already at least one person, or maybe a couple of people have been arrested based oh, yeah. on this video um, evidence. So Kenny was actually, ar- who was the person who kind of started the whole day off with his initial arrest. He was arrested a week later again for criminal mischief in the third, a felony, for maybe kicking this car. I don't know exactly what the police have decided that he did during this car incident that happened later in the day. I'm sure they'll figure it out eventually. But he is one of the people who... Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, you know, as we're talking, as one of uh, the people that I'm organizing with is talking to Detective Sergeant Ralph, he's asking her, you know, like, okay, well, who are you in these videos? And she's about to answer this question, and I'm just like, cut it off! Cut it off! (laughs) And, you know, even if you're not doing anything wrong, they're just like, oh, well, you're you're an accomplice. Like, look, you didn't do anything about it. I am the car. You know, like you know, like the like that Michael Jackson music video where I turn into where he turns into a car. Like that was me. So like I'm the victim here, actually. And That's the what idea I would that say. the police have more affinity with a car than human beings is just mind boggling. And then you're yeah. like, oh right, that's because your entire job is to protect property, not people. Yeah, I don't know what somebody said, uh I can't remember, maybe on Twitter, but um murder is not an excuse for property damage, but property damage is an excuse for murder. Yeah. Yeah, that's super fun to live in a society where ownership of private property is more important than anybody's right to either, like, protest or just live, you know, depending on what your crime is. Which We can talk about that a little bit with the stuff that's been unfolding in Kenosha. What's kind of wild is that stuff that's been unfolding in Troy for a long time has never really made national news other than Laporto stuffing ballot boxes. But, you know, Kenosha has <clears throat> been heavily in the news for the last week because what's happened there is so horrifying so this all began with the shooting of jacob blake a 29 year old black man who police were trying to apprehend him he decided he was going to get in his car for according to the police he leaned into the driver's seat at which point they shot him seven times in the back blake is still alive he is likely going to be paralyzed from the waist down he had to have surgery to remove some of the bullets and heal up the wounds um, when he awoke from his, what was like almost a semi-coma, as I understand it, he was r- restrained to his hospital bed. 
This is a man who is now paralyzed, so they felt the need to uh, handcuff him to his hospital bed. Shit. Yeah. So, you know, then there were a lot of protests. I believe a court <laughs> building was maybe burned down. Yeah, there was uh, two uh, NBA games um, and two MLB games that all the players struck. Yeah. But fortunately, uh, Absolute King, President, former President Barack Obama, was able to swoop in and shut that, all, shut that shit down. So um, now instead there's, what, a task force that's being formed? Man's never met a problem that uh, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't <laughs> want a task force out Dude, of Dude, that's existence. just libs in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Everything is like, oh, here, we have all the facts, but we need facts that suit our narrative. So if we could get these people together to give those to us, that would be great. Yeah. Don't strike Form a task force. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So just before midnight on Tuesday, Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old white man who has, according to his social media, just is absolutely dick hard for cops and Trump, like really going out of his way to absolutely bootlick, showed up at these protests in Kenosha. He was originally there kind of armed with an AR-style rifle am i still allowed to say ar chris is that yeah no. i just can't i don't know what the politically right. correct term <laughs> is for the gun i don't want to get canceled by the gun <sighs> groups so he shows do you, up do you really not though <laughs> i mean actually kind of not really because i'm i'm sort of down with at least like armed socialists but um that's why we have chris yeah exactly yeah it is antifa super soldier so um the teenager with a long gun scuffled with people near a car dealership and opened fire killing two people and wounding a third a scuffle yeah a scuffle so so they were like please put down your gun and he was like absolutely not and they were like we shall scuffle over it (laughs) yeah and then he shot somebody yeah so the uh, chain of events as i understand it is rittenhouse showed up as if to help protect private property and the he highest had a, of all callings yeah exactly and he had a conversation with the police who basically and this has all been caught on video and has been like fact-checked by multiple news organizations he uh the police thanked him for the service he was providing asked him if he wanted some water he said yes they threw him a bottle of water and then like very shortly thereafter he basically entered into a crowd of protesters they told him they didn't want him walking around armed There was, again, the scuffle. He shot a person. After he shot a person, then people started to get serious about disarming this man before he murdered anybody else. He got knocked to the ground. Um, One of the protesters went for his gun. And then um, this was Joseph Rosenbaum. So the first first victim is Anthony Huber. And then the second was Joseph Rosenbaum. Both killed. um, And then a third was shot. Through the arm. Through the arm. Yeah, and the video is really horrifying. Yeah. It, you can find it. Um, it's You can hear everyone's voices. You can hear their screams. It's pretty terrifying. And it just raises so many questions like, why the fuck were the police so comfortable with a bunch of teenagers with long guns out there to protect property? And why did they go? And like, you talked about the video um, earlier that uh, when the police um, first uh, made contact with Rittenhouse and mm-hmm. gave him water, but you didn't mention the fact that they did this through the loudspeaker of an MRAP. Yeah. So there's this basic, <laughs> You're right, I didn't mention that. And at the same time, <laughs> and at the same time, they're telling the protesting crowd oh to disperse. Yeah, that yeah. like, it's after curfew, you all must leave. And then another MRAP is like, Hey, Proud Boy, do you want a bottle of water? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, quite later, they were like, 
we very much appreciate your support. You're defending America. Thank you very much. And then they're like, you, you want some water? And uh, Kyle was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So he just sort of like runs up to this MRAP, like super comfortable. With the fucking and AR. With the fucking strapped, AR. Strapped, yeah. And they, they open the, the top like gun port on the tank and like toss, toss him a bottle of water. And he's like, got it. Thanks. <laughs> and then runs back. Because yep. they, they probably have like a little like a uh, Red Bull cooler in that thing. You know? That's yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. I just imagine it's their party van because like when the when the fuck else do they ever need this thing like they, yeah, they bought, get like bought a, it off the dhs uh list of you know discount uh military service yeah and that's where they do all the cocaine that they bring into evidence right They're just like <laughs> getting super amped inside this armored vehicle God, yeah. I, I just want to drive this listen thing. so they it's not their fault that they pop off at protesters they literally can't control themselves at that point they've just been kettled inside this yeah. Inside this armored vehicle with too much uh, contraband. Yeah. yeah, as it turns yeah. out, right. just listening just, to uh, a Slayer's vulgar display of power. You know, right. just, yeah. just talking about like how many times they're going to like drive this over to their ex-wife's house. You know. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, it's funny until the cops kill their ex-wives. Yeah, and then... yeah. And and so the in the video yeah. where Kyle kills the second person and maims the third, he immediately like you know after everybody realizes this guy is just going to shoot everybody. Everyone scatters and runs away from him, um, including the, the guy that's asking for, like, medical attention for his arm. Um, and Kyle Worth ru- noting also that Kyle said he was a medic, and that was one of the reasons he was there, was to keep people safe. So, anyway, go ahead. And so, instead of applying medical attention to the person <laughs> he just, you know, grievously wounded, or the person that he apparently just killed, uh, or was about to die from his bullet wounds... He put his arms up and ran toward the MRAPs, I assume, trying to surrender himself. Like, he would just yeah. sort of recognize, like, oh, shit, I just killed a couple people. Like, I'm just going to surrender myself. But somehow, the the flagging down of a white guy in bo- body armor with a long gun to the cops was, like, something that they just didn't need to address. And they just drove right by him. Yeah, because, and, it, because then he fled to Illinois. Like, he he went to a, a cross state lines to get away. And well, they, he was and essentially they, released. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he was ever in police custody proper. You can't see my air quotes, but I'm making them. But he was allowed to leave while armed as a 17-year-old child in terms of the law. Like, he's not allowed to have a gun. And I believe uh, Wisconsin, you can open carry, I believe, because the cops also said, look, they were protesters who were strapped. So, you know, like, we didn't really, we weren't going after them, and we didn't go after this guy. But yeah, he was allowed to leave while armed. It wasn't until several days later that he was actually arrested. So I thought he turned himself in, too. I thought he turned himself in in his hometown. And then, yeah, like, I don't know if they extradite you across straight state lines. They or do. And something. he actually had an extradition hearing, which he did not attend. And I believe the outcome of that is still pending. But they are trying to extradite him back to Wisconsin. And then just, you know, wow. to, to wrap up this whole, like, vigilante turned murderer story. Kyle Rittenhouse was, what, months away from actually becoming a cop? He was just waiting to turn 18. Yep. So he could go to the academy and, yeah, become a cop. Yeah, so, well, then yeah. he can legally shoot people. Right. So yeah. that's yeah. the then dream, he, right? He, then you'd have qualified immunity for all this. Man, he was so close. He was oh, so close. So, you hate to see it. It's so uh, sad. Just so close. And, uh, and, then, and then, like, wrapped around all of this, right, is the fact that we've also learned that the Facebook event that he uh, responded to that, he, that had him showing up here was reported 455 times in moderators on, on Facebook. On what grounds? That it was inciting violence because the, the the event said to come strapped. 
Oh. It, it, and uh, and everyone reported it, like 455 people reported it. And uh, Facebook was like, no, nah, it's all right. Well, moderators, that, so four moderators for that page deemed it non-violating. Since it has been, it was eventually removed on Wednesday, several hours after the shooting. Ah, Mark Zuckerberg has said, um, Mark Zuckerberg had said that the reason the militia page and an associated event, that referring to this event, remained online after the shooting due to, quote, an operational mistake. Mm. So it doesn't appear that he is really uh, apologizing for it not being removed before the murder of these two people, but rather that it stayed up a few hours too, too too long Oopsie too longer than it should have been so i don't usually try to attribute like malice to you know the hell sites you know like twitter and and uh, facebook and instagram and, and what have you but i have to say that like they're making a lot of money off of like this smoldering what civil conflict civil war like beginning uh type of uh carnage in the streets on a regular basis and i used to get like only really cute things in, uh, advertised to me on my instagram ad feed like little thumb pianos or like little tools that like help you like measure the molding around your house i don't know how i bought david one of those for christmas yeah, yeah the, very... little, the little push thing no the one i got you doesn't really work very well but yeah. i think it's wonderful <laughs> but I liked it better then because without ever searching any of these things or even talking about wanting this because I don't, I've been so heavily advertised body armor. Mm. And this was something else that I noticed the other day, like when we were out in front of the police station is like, there are a lot of people wearing body armor. A lot of people on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This should, uh. I don't concerning. know. Yeah, it's concerning. Well, yeah, that's actually a big deal. And like in our local community in terms of organizing, because there's been a trend where all of the people who are kind of running security for these uh, protests will just show up in full body armor. And I know that they that people have weapons in their cars, just they're not bringing them out in protest. But the idea that like we don't have any guns on our side isn't true either. Um, yeah, absolutely. But the body armor thing, especially up here, is concerning. And there was a while where just all these secure people who were running security team were just at all these events so often that then they were on these bullhorns all the time. And there were certain events, especially like the Grace Baptist Church protest. The f- there were two. The first one was the one that I was at. And it was just like dudes in bulletproof vests, like on a bullhorn, talking to the crowd about... In front know, of a church. It, I mean, like for a lot of people, it's like... Like people in body armor yelling at a church. Like that's. I mean, it was first of all, the optics of battling that church for our side is never going to be good. Never, They're never going to be good. Yeah. They have too much money, too much support, too much like. They're locked into that whole, like, wild Baptist culture that's happening in the United States, like the. Um, well, the, like the, the Westmore, church, like Westboro, Westboro, Westboro yeah. yeah, like that, the Westboro Baptist Church, like that whole contingency of like extremist right wing i don't even want to call them churches they're like it's a fascist like fascist cults cults. yeah yeah yeah. um i I do want to point out a little bit of context for our listeners this had happened uh several weeks back i think we had mentioned on on like a bonus episode Um, yeah we did but we it was our christian zionism episode yes yes and and so we've been purposefully sort of avoiding giving too much attention to this but it's now sort of like a national news story so we might as well cover it a little bit there was a protest of this um Grace Baptist Church, which is a Lansingburg, you know, church like we're talking about, that is particularly 
it has a lot of hot takes. It's let's, virulently let, racist. Yes. Um, the pastor literally believes that black people should be slaves, that it was better when black people were slaves. Uh, women are not allowed to wear pants. Like, it's very much whatever the most right-wing version of a Christian church you can think of, that's what it is. And so, they're, they're really about it. We're not, you know, like, this isn't hyperbole. Um, they, they literally have uh, Facebook videos called Blacks Are Cursed. They have another one called... They believe the whole, like, the tribe of the, the like, curse descendants of, of the Curse and, of yeah, Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that Greeks that Are Cursed was another one. Um, and then it was, like, the Jewish problem. Well, or the something. pastor is Greek, for what it's worth. Yeah. The pastor is actually Greek. Because I know his daughter. But um, they they have a piece of ham that they put on the outside of the door. And you have and, to touch the ham. And you have to touch the ham to come in. Which and they think keeps out Muslims. Muslims. Yeah. And and then he'll, they'll, like, make exceptions Jew, for Jews. Yeah. Some, oh, some I think Jews. they had some ADL uh, action yeah. on that. So thank you, Anti-Defamation League, for Woo-hoo. keeping Jews everywhere. So, so, it's, so worth, safe. it's worth so, noting so that they don't so, do so it safe. because they think it keeps people out. They do it yeah. to troll the libs. They yeah. do it because yeah. they know it'll piss people off, which is why they do all of this, which is it, what... All of it. And yeah. and that's why, you know, people kept being like, we still have to protest this church. And I'm like, nope. you are never going to beat that church. Like, yeah. I went to one thing um, because Raphael was like, yo, there's like a fight starting in the street. Um, apparently there had been like a brief altercation between protesters and the son of the pastor who's where, who's like a Greek dude from like the Northern United States wearing a big Confederate flag belt buckle. I know. Huh. So I used to work with that guy. Oh gosh. When I worked in phone sales, the I eyebrows, the like the manicured eyebrows were just so much. And when I, when I worked with him, he was very much like libertarian but he was also quite young and he kind of just gave off like you know like i'm looking uh, for something to care about yeah if you had asked me if he would like have gone as hard right as he had i would have told you like like, no he's just not uh he doesn't care that much about anything but it's really weird that i worked with that guy for like a year and a half uh our desks were like adjacent to each other yeah where did you work with him i worked in a phone sales department for a company called uh direct buy which is kind of like a scammy home improvement membership system that um i did phone sales there after i because i graduated uh into one of the Worst recession since the Great Depression, and so... 2009, 2010. 2010, and so my anthropology degree didn't really get me many places, but it did get me into a phone sales department, so... I love learning about all the odd jobs that you've had through this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's like, like I didn't even know there were more odd jobs that I could know that you had, but now we have direct buy to add to the list. I've had a bunch of weird jobs. So that raises a lot of questions. So it's basically like a home reno, like loot crate that they mail to you. So that you get like, you know, some spackle, maybe you get like a a speed square. Look, I'll give you the sales pitch if you want. I still have the scripts memorized. (laughs) It's like a Um, cut code thing. Go for it. Uh, so direct buy is a membership club that allows you to purchase anything you can think of for in and around your home directly from the manufacturer, saving you anywhere from 30, 40, even 50% off of, you know, the retail costs. So you come down for a tour of the showroom. We'll let you know how the program works. And then, um, you know, we'll discuss membership options for you. You do have to make your decision the night that you come in. If you decline a membership, you unfortunately will not be allowed to return to direct buy to reconsider your options. So Ooh, high pressure. You don't necessarily tell them that on the phone because you want the sales hit is like they get there and then they're like hit with the decision, as we called it, the decision. And so it costs like, I think it costs like five, depending on what you wanted, like five grand 
for the membership. Damn. Um, lifetime? Be- lifetime or is that a yearly? I think it lasted for like five years. Um, so uh, like a, a lot of our people Skin were hill. landlords. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the only people that it worked for is landlords and farmers because yeah. like the big ticket items that have the most markup were for things like kitchen cabinets or equipment. Mm. Um, but they would tell you like, you can get things like clothing and jewelry and all this stuff, but you would be saving like. A very, you know, like a very small fraction of the retail price buying those kinds of things. The only things it was good for was like kitchen remodeling. Wait. So if you were remodeling like 20 kitchens in the next five years, it would be worth it for you. Mm. But those are not the people we got to buy. We got like young couples who didn't know any better to buy. I still feel like I've never taken enough showers to wash the stink <laughs> of direct buy off of me. Um, now, I, now that building is a dialysis center. It is. Yeah. They closed down shortly after I left. Um, is it the easy were keeping that place alive? Well, I tell you what, I was a very good salesperson, and uh, I hate that about myself <laughs> that I was very good at phone sales. I don't, I don't care for it. Patreon.com slash irony. <laughs> Please keep me out of telemarketing. I always wonder if those things that have like a huge uh, membership buy is actually just a front for large money laundering schemes because oh, so they could just pad the books with like fake people or even real people that they're like, we just gave you this five gr- like. Hey, like special offer today just for you. You get the membership for one dollar, but then you still put your five grand into the business, uh, yeah, and yeah. you just got people to sign up. Because what do you, you still have to buy the stuff after you get the membership, yeah. right? Yeah. So give the membership. I away can't for tell free. you laundered their money. We absolutely did take the memberships. Um, it was a ma- major national brand. Like Direct Buy was not like a small thing. It was it was huge. It was in every and it was in like the eighties and nineties, much bigger, much more profitable. But people got but people wised up to sales tactics. Like Direct Buy never. This is like maybe getting far afield of our topic, but they never updated their sales tactics to extend beyond like the vacuum cleaner salesman era. Mm. People are much more suspicious of those types of, you know, dirty used car salesman sales tactics. Uh, you know who was very, very good at it? Daniel Kalidas, the son of the minister at this church. He was an excellent salesperson, really fucking good, um, and could just like convince people of fucking anything. Very, it was almost like a little disturbing how good he was. Well, because usually the women were better at it. I'd like to now direct the listener's attention to our new $5,000 Patreon tier, where we will (laughs) connect you directly with the manufacturers of literally anything that you want. Um, And so, you know, just patreon.com slash ironweeds and uh, sign up today for this uh, one-time offer that is going away the next half hour. Call now. So, uh, anyway, getting back to the events in Kenosha, I kind of haven't been able to really think about anything other than this, and then uh, for, you know, since it happened, pretty much. And then there was video circulating on Twitter about something that happened last night or yesterday, so this would have been it happened sometime either Friday night or Saturday night, I'm not sure if we're recording on Sunday, but of these two massive pickup trucks, just there are a bunch of protesters. This is in Portland. There are a bunch of protesters in a crosswalk. They have the right of way. You can literally see the crosswalk sign in the video. And two trucks just begin to plow through these protesters. Thankfully, they didn't run anybody over, but they were shooting off people in the bed of the truck were shooting off paintball guns and um, and pepper spraying everybody. Yeah, like big, big pepper spray bursts, like, you know, yeah. like from a like, like a bear mace thing. Yeah. 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 
And so I just am kind of left with this feeling that like not since the civil rights era have we seen these kind of violent street clashes uh, among two very distinct polarized groups. Like I'm trying it, at the very least, the I think the millennial generation has never seen these types of divisive political tensions that we're seeing now. Yeah. And it's felt for a long time that we're on the brink of some kind of massive national conflict because even just looking at the numbers like the numbers of diehard republicans and democrats are so evenly matched and the states are so like so few of them continue to be purple states like they're increasingly becoming more polarized yeah and i don't really know what to say about it other than it's kind of all i can think about is that it really i don't want to like scaremonger i don't want to like you know um blow things out of proportion as much as i tend to do that but it really feels like we're on the like on the eve of civil war so what like ferguson was 2014 so that's i feel like we've been in this for six years there's just been like on the precipice of like is there gonna be an actual um like large-scale protest movement in the united states and i think we're there now depending on what city you're in you're all the way in it well, I think and, a big difference between Ferguson and now is that I feel like white nationalists and all these groups kind of a la Proud Boys were not as bold and brazen then. You know, we had, okay, so we had the uh, Charlotte, the, the yeah, car that, yeah, yeah, that Charlottesville, thank you, that um, uh, Heather killed Heyer. Heather Heyer. But I feel like right now the big difference between those two protest movements has not occurred so much on like the BLM side as it has white supremacists are much more emboldened now. And I think that's an element of the kind of age of Trump. And it's also uh, gone a little bit away from the direct self-identification as white nationalists. Like, you know, you look at the, the, um, the Unite the Right, there were people there that were, you know, quote unquote, alt-right, you know, like the whole like Pepe meme, you know, uh, uh, artists and stuff. And Chanting Jews will not replace us and yes. carrying Nazi flags. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And then there were a bunch of people who were hardcore Nazis with like the tattoos and everything. And, and you know, uh, I think that most of the people that went to that, um, you know, the really great people on both sides. Um, no, but like... Very uh, fine people. But the, the most of the people that went to that were self-aware of the fact that they were pushing a politics of a white ethno state. And and sure. we're, you know, about that. Whereas I think a lot more people, you know, these, these motherfuckers in the truck, like running over people and hitting them with paintballs, like this has turned into like the sort of mill sim uh, paintball game stage of the civil uh, unrest. And, you know, like also live fire, you know, coming from teenagers and that these people don't think of themselves probably as white nationalists. They probably just see themselves as a generic patriot. Sure. You know, somebody who's trying to defend the nation and, you know, everything that's great about it. Well, that's actually what strikes me as so dangerous to to kind of get maybe more granular about it is that you have people who are assuming the same role and taking on many of the same elements of the identity who, to me, it just feels like they aren't white supremacists yet. The, you yeah. know, like they're they're do they're engaging in the same kinds of behaviors. They have roughly the same ideology. They just aren't flying Nazi flags. That to me seems like the only real substantive difference between them. And we're very close to them. Just you know, you have the son of a pastor in Troy, New York, a very blue city in a very blue state, wearing a Confederate flag belt buckle. Like we're just we're so close to them having numbers that are much greater than they had, I think in the 2014 era. And just because they're not openly identifying as those things, 
doesn't mean that they aren't. And a lot of it may be political savvy, which is even scarier. Like they may have realized that it's not practical to wave a Nazi Nazi flag and have, you know, 88 tattoos and stuff like that. Well, I think that um, the whole uh, militia thing, you know, ebbs and flows, right? Like it was growing really, really large, you know, um, it, right before Timothy McVeigh and the uh, Oklahoma City bombing. Sure. And then right when that happened, everybody like scuttled under a rock, like in, in hid and was like, what? Militia? What are and you talking about? And we're pissed about? off about Timothy McVeigh kind of fucking up their shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. frankly, yeah. A lot yeah. of white supremacists were very pissed off at his lone, his lone wolf attack. Yeah. So, you know, like it seems that the uh, being in a militia is now in vogue um, because there's this, uh, you know, real sense of embattlement that uh, people like, I think, want to feel. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And especially in a political culture or a political moment where the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have never looked more the same. You know, like they are like the Democrats are literally just blue MAGA now, you know, like openly. They're just like, we're going to make America great again. Build back better. I don't know what you're talking about. It's an entirely <laughs> different slogan. The slogan is completely different. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and Biden's camp disavowed Richard Spencer's endorsement of them. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, so like, they don't Wait, want Richard Spencer endorsed Biden. Yeah. 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 Well, he said he was going to vote for Biden. And not Trump. It wasn't, it's I don't a, know if it was an endorsement. Well, it's a question as to whether or not he's trolling the Democrats or whether he's just like, because his whole thing is like, clearly liberals are more competent at bringing about the agenda that I want. That's like his open stance. I mean, right, that's yeah, kind of why I'm indifferent to whoever wins this election. Like, yeah. I know everybody's like, this is the most important election of our lives. The USPS like, is on the fucking ballot, Dara. You know what? Characters on the ballot. I tell you what. And we're you know, actually going to talk a little bit about the DNC and RNC in our bonus episode this the, week. So patreon.com slash ironweeds if you want to hear that. I also think the idea that Biden's not trying. Like, Trump isn't the guy that's selling out USPS. Like, someone else, the dudes who are invested in FedEx and UPS and all the other logistics companies, get, they're like, yo, buddy. Let's talk about money because y'all know we love it. And he's Barack just like, Obama yes. wanted to. Wanted Everyone to, wants to do yeah, it. He wanted it's to a, fill the administration with a bunch of people who wanted to privatize the USPS. And then Bernie Sanders caught flack. We talked about this a couple episodes back, but Sanders caught flack for opposing a lot of Obama's nominations to serve as on the what a, committee that runs the USPS. And people were like, well, if Bernie hadn't done that, this wouldn't have happened. And it's like, no, he wanted Barack Obama wanted to put in the exact same agenda as what Trump wants to put in. And, you know, like, under whose watch did the uh, fucking 2007 legislation? Six. Six? Yeah. Two, yeah. I mean, that, well, that, you know, that was obviously Bush, but I think. Well, yeah, but I think the Senate was. Yeah. Well, that, was they that had a, at least one of the houses of yeah. Congress. I don't remember. Yeah. In the days of Harry Reid or some, right. something like that. Yeah. Like, and either way, the Dems allowed for a voice vote so they wouldn't be held accountable right. for, you know. So it's like, it, yeah, it's absurd the way the Democrats have framed this as. I mean, so in some ways, I think Trump is uniquely evil and dangerous because he just flouts the law so openly in a way I don't think any other president has really done. Yeah, um, and he uses the bully pulpit to basically call for militias to use the Second Amendment to, you know, bring about his, uh, you know, personal will. Yeah, yeah, he told cops to not to beat the shit out of each other, uh, to beat the shit out of protesters in 2016. And now, of course, Biden has said maybe shoot them in the leg. So it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's a softer, kinder fascism. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, man. I wonder what the um, the conversation where uh, Barack Obama uh, went down to, like, the dome where they, they're keeping all the NBA players and, like, had, like, a heart-to-heart with everybody. He's like, you know what I did when uh, BLM started during my term? Mostly I ignored it. But... 
I did talk about Trayvon Martin. So, here so I am. Get back to playing, boys. <laughs> yeah. America needs you. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fucked up that the only times Obama has really reared his head since uh Trump won is to sabotage the campaign of Bernie Sanders and uh stop the NBA from striking. Unify the party? I do mean unify <laughs> the party. Yeah, that is what I mean. Yeah. It's it's bad. I just want I want Democrats to literally take a stance on anything. And right now you have I mean, they just I know a lot of people are really uh, think Kamala Harris is going to be this like grand progressive that's going to come in and just like take it all over and basically like rule that White House from the from the vice president's position. I mean, fine, maybe. I don't know. We need Uh, our own Dick Cheney. I've been saying that. But I mean, (laughs) I think to me, it's just going to make the conversation. It's going to give the conversation that the Dems are always trying to have about like, but we're the race. We're the we're the party that cares about race issues and we care about wealth gap issues but it basically gives them this like legitimacy factor because now they have someone like the first woman of color on a national ticket which isn't even true but um a, a viable national ticket we yeah. can say that yeah. is true yeah. uh and I, I just i i just look at all this representation politics as so useless and so uh, unwilling to step up to the time. And the Democrats have a huge opportunity. If they wanted to take this election and just run away with it and, and make it like a huge leftist state, I think they could do it. They just don't have any political will towards that. And Well, we've said many times on this show, David makes the point especially, they don't want power. They want to fundraise. They don't want to have to govern because that gets in the way of fundraising. Yeah, also, oh, it, you so know, the, the idea that there's actually a real struggle for power between two actually ideologically different political groups, being the Democrats and the Republicans, is mostly a facade. And that's sort of shown by the, you know, the many, many issues where they have an extreme bipartisan consensus. Mm-hmm. So that's on um, war. That's on environmental uh, degradation and, uh, you know, doing pipelines and all that kind of shit. It's on um, finance, capital. Fi- finance capital and austerity. Yep. Um, the and- punishment complex. They both love punishment. Oh, yeah. But- and means testing. Yeah. I mean, they both parties love to means test any kind of social program at all. But this somehow doesn't keep people from becoming like hyper polarized in who they identify with. Right. You know, like it, it, as you were talking about, you know, the, the, the vibe in the street is that there are these actually two um, different, you know, groups that are ready to butt heads. You know, it seems like the Democrats are always trying to co-opt and like uh, essentially deescalate or make like not a threat um, the social movements in the streets that like they at least ostensibly align with. Um, so you see, you know, the eight can't wait. You see the right. um, types of like uh, just, you know, mealy mouth reform. Uh, we don't mean that, defund when we say defund. We yeah. Mean, yeah. And then you see the Republicans, uh, especially through their surrogates, just justify literally anything. Sure. And so like the Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, like I haven't been watching Tucker, but I can imagine Tucker's like, this is exactly how every American, you know, ne- needs to behave. Like, you know, standing up for the property rights and, and uh, one's freedoms and, uh, you know, like just full throated um, support of it is mm-hmm. probably what's happening, you know. Uh, and then, that's how they're raising funds for him. Yeah. Basically that he did the right thing. He was being attacked. And, yeah. And, um, and so they'll always justify it. And then they'll always take what the Democrats are 
trying to actually distance themselves from and like try to like talk down and say that the Democrats are like the most full throated revolutionaries ever. Like, you know, like yeah. they're, they're saying, uh, what was, what was at it? the same uh, time as they keep BLM and their tactics at arm's reach and don't really want to like justify looting or, you know, property damage. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then, well, then also forcing the Democrats to say, no, 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 we actually don't support any of these popular things or yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. Right. They just say, they can say that over and over again. It's like, no, AOC will not have any control over the Biden presidency. And <laughs> like, I wanna, like, I, yeah. Yeah. I want to save like, a she's little a political bit. superstar. Can you yeah. please just ride that yeah. into yeah. the future? Thank you. Yeah. I want to save a little bit of this for our bonus because we are going to talk about the DNC and fair RNC enough, and enough, what yeah. the kind of uh, what what the branding is going into the next year because to me it's um, fascinating if not terribly important it's at least interesting so right. maybe we'll do well, some I of think, that. I think there is one thing that's interesting about all this money that they that is so easily raised for right wing extremists and I think it's that there's a lot of people sitting in their living rooms watching fucking Tucker Carlson who are like. I want to be Kyle Rittenhouse. I actually want to be that guy, but I'm a little scared. So instead of actually being that guy, I'll just give him some money. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's Hashtag I am Kyle Rittenhouse, which is literally on Twitter. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's, that's wild that there's so many people that use him as a surrogate for what they wish they could be doing. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how many more deaths would be necessary such that people didn't just straight up identify with him. Like, if it were... 20 would people be still saying i am kyle Rittenhouse? if it were 300 i mean uh, timothy mcveigh you know like people immediately distance themselves from that even though yeah there were a lot of people who were like you know what it's time it's time for to rise up against this government you know blow up some buildings you know like tyler durden shit um yeah So, Dara, when I had originally asked you to come on, um, I was very interested in the work that you were doing in Barker Park um, and a little, was very curious about sort of the backstory on that. So that there's this organization called Equality Troy, right? Yeah. So there's an organization that's called Equality for Troy, and um, they were interested in having some kind of meaningful reaction to the city removing benches from a par- public park. Um the argument the city had for removing these benches was that it was uh, related to the pandemic. Um, and then there's secret emails from the mayor that actually say that it's about um, the types of people who are hanging out in the park. Many of some of them are, have insecure housing. And there's a lot of things that wouldn't be considered lawful activity that happen in the park. Um Mostly drug use and public urination. Um, there's drug use. There's public urination. There's definitely um, informal business that gets conducted in that park. Um, oh, oh, yeah, we oh, save oh, that. Honestly. We save that for the bars in Troy, where yeah, that kind right, of business yeah. can be conducted. Like, I was gonna if say, you're oh, not oh, a bar oh, owner, but the pandemic, right? I mean, and I mean that's clearly a, a a bullshit thing because if you look across the street, there's people hanging out at any of these businesses that. Um, you know, serve hundreds of people still during a busy night and, you know, they're all crowded around. And so it's like, oh, well, I guess you're allowed to violate the the social code of the pandemic as long as you're paying for it. But if you're not going to pay for it, then, yeah, you might as well just sit on the ground or something. So that Equality for Troy wanted to have a response and then just some people in the community who I think have been activated through this months of social unrest and have been like, I just want to do something. And here's a Here's an issue that we can get involved with. So a lot of the people who are in who are doing that organizing work are just residents of downtown. And we've been working really closely with the 
uh, people who regularly use the park. They're they're not like I guess no one's really officially on our organizing committees, but you know we have a sense of who the leaders in that community are, and they openly collaborate with us to do whatever it is that we have been choosing to do. Mostly, we've just been uh, bringing chairs to the park so people have places to sit, and that kind of you know, became snowballed into something else where um, just by being in the park and talking to people, you know, like last week, I just helped get a guy who, because he doesn't have a phone, has been moved into an apartment, but can't actually make an appointment to have this furniture that's free and already slated for him to be delivered. You know, and so it's like, for me, I can text someone on Facebook and make that happen in like two minutes, you know, and just be like, all right, cool. Now we got your appointment. Everything's fine. You're going to get a bed by Friday. And you just see how easy it is to actually solve some of these problems that people experience. But because of capitalism, like, and I don't have a phone, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. Now you have someone who's just, like, could have been easily helped, but is now experiencing one of the toughest times in their life. And so they go and they sit in that park, because that's a nice place to sit. There's a lot of people around. There's Everyone's looking out for each other. There's a lot of camaraderie. And so it's kind of a shame to, like, see one of these places where there actually are people who are living on the margins taking care of each other, and for the city to come in and just be like, you know, we don't like that, so we're going to try to eradicate it. And I think that that is at the core of what's happening, um, is that there's a lot of solidarity going on, and the city doesn't like that kind of solidarity because it doesn't look as comfortable to wealthier people to and a majority white downtown that they're trying to create. And you guys are also doing a drug abuse intervention, right? Where you're d- yeah. talking with people that are having all types of substance abuse um, issues. And, you know, you've gotten how many people into rehab now? Um, I mean, the one of the goals, uh, this isn't my personal mission to um, connect people with rehabilitation services, but it became pretty apparent that there were enough people who were looking for for an opportunity to do either detox or a longer term rehabilitation program. And so those people kind of came to us. Uh, a few organizers on our uh, working with us are recovering addicts themselves. We also have people who are houseless who are organizing with us. So, you know, like a, a lot of the things that are happening from our coalition are also happening in conjunction with the people who are directly impacted by these problems, which is what I think makes our effort so effective. Um, and so, you know, like we've been able to do a lot of cool stuff that I don't think otherwise would have happened without the city instigating this kind of like fascist attempt to dislodge a community. And so on Friday, one of the cool things that you did was uh, you threw a party. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, free food. Yeah, there was uh, free food. Yeah. There... Free entertainment. Uh, so Troy every month has this event called Troy Night Out, which is basically a big uh, downtown event for people to come spend their money at local small Shoppies. businesses. Yeah, yeah it's, so, it's, it's organized by the Business Improvement District downtown. So, yeah. 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 And there are some free events, but, I mean, I think they're free contingent on you look like you belong in right, this pay-to-play business. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when, this, when they first removed the benches, one of our more... You know, tenacious, uh, tenacious members was like, we're just going to have a 24 hour occupy of this park, which it's it's a park that has fences on four sides. It's not a it's not a strategically smart place to, um, you know, stage a stage an arrestable event. But eventually we were like, well, that actually puts the people who use this park regularly at the greatest amount of risk. And that's not what we're trying to do. So we were like, let's just throw the people's Troy night out and we can just have an event where people, anyone can come and anyone can eat and everything's free. And 
yeah, so we had a free store at that event. We had, um, there were, Troy for Black Lives came and they did a presentation. Um, and of course, Luce gave a speech that you're just like, in, in, in tears, like, and with everyone holding hands and like chanting, fuck the man, you know, like all together in unison. It was great. And there was live music. We had a DJ. We had, um, oh, who DJed? Um, Joshua Gruff. I was last. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Hell um, yeah. and oh, DJ, like DJ Mercy. Folks from the park were like getting up and like there's a rumor that one of those guys used to perform with Funkadelic and he hit the mic. And so that was cool to see him perform. Uh, you know, it, it was just a it was just a really cool event where I think a lot of people got to have a platform just for fun that they don't get to have, really, which I think is so important. So I definitely want to be at the next one. So um, it, we are, are planning. So we just specifically decided that we did not want to occupy the park beyond much beyond dark because this is something that we'd like to just do yeah um and we essentially got the idea from uh the community police officers because one day they set up a table and chairs in the park and gave away free stuff and yeah, bike helmets yeah bike helmets and like little uh little police paraphernalia like stickers and figurines and stuff and one of the one of the folks who's regularly in the park went up to the police and was just like so all right so every night you keep you come and you take out these chairs and you throw them in the trash but you come in with the table and chairs and then you're allowed to do that. So what, why can't we? And their argument was that they cleaned up after themselves and that was the difference. So then I was like, so as long as we set up, give away all this free stuff and then clean up, we're doing exactly what these officers said we, we could do. So um, that kind of just steamrolled into a like, all right, well, let's just set up free tables and start doing whatever we feel like doing, which actually I've always wanted there to be a free store in Troy because there's so much stuff in this city. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone buys a house and you're just like, Oh, here's like some Amazon addicted shoppers, uh, arsenal of things they never opened. And there's so much stuff that just ends up in the landfill that if we just had a place to bring it, people could just redistribute it. So, uh, I think that we'll start doing more stuff like that. Which All right. Well, great. definitely let us know because we can tweet it out on the uh, the podcast uh, Twitter and uh, get some people down there because I'd love to go and party with y'all. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. But, I mean, let me tell you, those folks in the park, they know how to party. They nice. Do. That <laughs> is 100% fact. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We cannot, as a nation, abide a rooftop garden gap. <laughs> <laughs> They're outpacing us. It's true. They are. So our, our yeah, our, uh, our wildflower for the for the week uh comes to us from the the great green north of uh of Canada where uh, French Canada. French Canada. Mm, Sorry. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of our Quebecois wow, listeners. It's really insensitive, David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From the free state of Quebec comes uh <laughs> someday. Well, yeah. The world's biggest rooftop greenhouse opens in Montreal. It is a a 160 square foot, I don't know what that is in me- oh, 15,000 square meters. Uh about the size of three football fields. Oh, wait, 160,000 square foot. Yeah, yeah. 160,000. It's the largest foot. in the world. Yeah, it's 10,000 uh square feet larger than the second largest one which was built I think uh, 2 years ago in Paris. And I got to say, as far as uh, international races go for, you know, like upping one upping each other. Yeah, make it this one. I'm all about the rooftop garden. And it sounds a- like French speakers are really uh, leaps and bounds ahead. I don't know what it is about French, but. Yeah. The, so the, the company that made the, 
this biggest one. This is actually their fourth um, the company has erected. The first one was in 2011 uh, at a cost of two million Canadian dollars. Uh, and then since then, they say there's some competitors. There's the French um, Urban Nature uh, is planning one in Paris in 2022. And then a company called American Gotham Greens um, has eight greenhouses on roofs in New York, Chicago, and Denver. So that's a that's pretty freaking cool. And like when you think about it, it's like you know these these um big box stores, they're just like huge flat pieces of land in usually very urban neighborhoods and they um uh they they build them with a with a white roof they paint the roof white mm-hmm. to reflect heat because yeah it's a gigantic box that is hard to uh climate control yeah hard to climate control and they um and they're you know and they're built like as cheaply as possible so they they the um they usually i think rely on hvac more than insulation so if you can like stick a a, a garden on top of like your local price chopper or walmart or something like that that captures a lot of excess heat that would otherwise go through what is usually i think like a corrugated metal roof yeah they're, mm-hmm. they're built so cheap that it definitely wouldn't be rated for the weight because when right. you're thinking about yeah, like that a, is the problem. you know yeah. like a, a rooftop garden or in this case these things are big industrial yeah, millions farms. of tons yeah. yeah yeah you know you're a lot of water a lot of concrete a lot of glass yeah um, but this very much reminded me of the Kropotkin uh, dialogues on the agricultural uh, revolution in terms of the uh, the garden cities and uh, you know specifically like the uh, the artisanal gardeners in um, Paris at the time and this was like what uh, 1893 or so when you wrote that or so um, and they were talking about how uh, you can increase the yield on a certain plot of square footage, like something like three to four or five times by proper cooling, heating, and um, capturing of uh, the sun. Right. Yeah. And Kropakin was talking about it as a potential way to resolve the class tensions between the peasantry and the urban worker, which frankly is also sounding pretty fucking relevant these days because, you know, if the revolution comes for us as it will for all of us. Um, the poor relationships between urban and rural populations is probably going to be a problem when it comes to getting food. So as well as like the highly centralized, um, productive, uh, utilities that are required. So like, I think we had talked about how, uh, we in the United States, like grow a ton of the produce that we eat in California yeah. and specifically using water that is being diver- diverted from aquifers that are quickly being depleted and like sent to areas that have like essentially no water backup. And that like, as far as national security goes, um, that's a really vulnerable link. Yeah. And if we were able to on a mass scale, uh, produce, uh, food where we live and where we can consume it, um, that makes an awful lot of sense to me. Yeah, and this um, Montreal Garden also has a fully automated greenhouse water system that collects and reuses rainwater, resulting in savings of up to 90% compared to a traditional farm. And, and you know, unlike, say, Uber, uh, you know, this company has been profitable since 2016 <laughs> uh, and, and employs 500 people. You it know, has like, actually started doing better since the pandemic. Yeah. They've been able to hire 200 new employees. They're... Um, their sales have more than doubled because they do a contactless delivery. So it's, you know what? We're always going to need food. That's one area of the economy that uh, we can certainly continuously develop because our need for food is hopefully not going away anytime soon. 
And, and you're a farmer, Dara. You got any thoughts on this? Would yeah. you uh, Would you like to live in a uh, 160,000 indoor square foot uh, farm garden? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, it, the indoor thing has always been, I mean, I guess cities that are built up the way that they are have to have indoor or rooftop garden infrastructure if they're going to produce enough for all those people that live there. Um, or if they're going to produce any reasonable amount of things. Uh, in the city of Troy, we have like an interesting inverse problem where we have a lot of space, but it's all so environmentally damaged yep. that nobody wants to give it to you. And it, it's they're all damaged for a lot of different reasons. So you all know the spot across the Stewarts on Route 2 that had the landslide that's now oh, just yeah, that yeah. Yeah. hillside? Yeah, they didn't have a uh, city engineer. So it was like some administrator was like, yeah, that looks good. And then they built like a whole retaining wall that just collapsed within the first week of it existing. Yeah. Uh, well, so it's there's this spot. It's called 19 Brunswick Road. And it's just like there was a landslide there. In Hurricane Irene, This there was a landslide that took out a couple of houses. And then FEMA came in and bought out all these different homeowners on this hillside. And so now it's just a vacant hillside. And for over a year, I've been trying to get the city just to tell me what the requirements would be to do anything on this property. And essentially what I want to do is dig a bunch of swales and put um, an orchard on that hillside since it's been slated for non-development. You're not allowed to develop anything there, uh, according to FEMA. But the city is so incompetent that they can't even get me the instructions so that I can take this property off their hands and start paying them taxes for yeah. it. Um, and, and then so, also physically strengthening it by putting roots in the ground. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and turning it into a commercial space where now people can do something instead of just like drive past this awkward hillside that's in very prime area. I mean, you're, you could probably have like 10,000 cars that drive past there a day or something, mm -hmm. not more. Um, so your vision would be like a farm stand at the bottom and then swales and, and fruit trees? Yeah. Um, okay, so my big vision is I want to get a, a fleet of school buses that we uh, turn into greenhouses. And so then they can kind of live on that lot um, and just have a seasonal tent that you pop up. And now you can have like a full seasonal greenhouse store that just operates out of these buses that we can move wherever they need to move in the winter or whatever. Yeah, so I have a big, big dreams. But getting any kind of information uh and i don't i guess the next step is now you just have to foil the city for this information so i'm like this information is publicly available and you sh you have to give it to me if i ask you in the right way so can we just yeah. like <laughs> agree that this is the right way to have asked which is uh, i said please like i don't yeah. need to go fill out twelve thousand pieces of paperwork so that you can bounce this around to a thousand different offices inside city hall as, as friend of the show, uh, Sean Collins likes to say, like, the thing that I need is in someone's drawer. It's on someone's desk. Oh, my God. Right? Like, yes. you like you have it, and you're not giving it to me. And there's a reason. Like, there's got to be a reason for it. If if, if, if it's either incompetence, maybe it's incompetence, or it's like, you know, you don't like what I'm trying to do. You know? Well, yeah. and what's really interesting is the city isn't going to like what I'm going to do no matter what. But if they give me this property, at least, like, it'll ostensibly I'll be doing something that's development-based for them instead of just, like, bothering them in Barker Park. You know, right. like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to be doing something. You actually get to decide what that thing is. <laughs> These are your options. Like, give me more property to, like, endlessly take take up my time developing. Or um, I'll just rabble-rouse in the streets. And, like, you get to pick. It's uh, it's a pretty 
I mean, if I were Patrick Madden, I would assume that it's a pretty easy answer. Like, yeah. let's let's get this woman out of delegating anything. Yep. <laughs> She's too good. Idle hands, the devil's uh, workshop. Yeah. And see, here's the thing. And that's the thing about Troy. It's like this city could just have this awesome urban act. There's actually so many unemployed farmers that live in the city of Troy. Uh, we have a lot of training here and um, we have a lot of land. And so none of us are asking for anything big. We're just like, just like, give us this land that you're not doing. It. We even pay for it. Just yeah. let us know what we have to pay you. Um, but you can't even get to the point. Yeah, it's like transactional uh, economics only works for people when it's already worked for you. Like then at the point where it's like, but I would pay in capitalism, right? They're like, well, no, not, not that capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> not, not capitalism that might help feed people or employ 500 people during a pandemic. Like not yeah, that capitalism. Make us more resilient in the face of economic and ecological crises, which are ongoing and yeah. accelerating. Yeah. Yeah, but what if you made like, a small business incubator where you learned how to turn apples into software. Uh, is that a dig at one of the many businesses downtown that just... I, 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 that was just a generic dig at what, how, uh, uh, cities decide that money gets made. That's true. right. Yeah, is that like, God forbid you feed people instead, you know, it has to be like some sort of complicated, like, semi nonprofit agency that then like makes new businesses that have to pay back the old business is it, which it's kind of like a venture capital nonprofit thing. <laughs> it's like, it's, it just make things so much harder than they have to be. Is that what they call a public benefit corporation? Maybe. Like, yeah. Mm. Some of them are like that. We're doing something kind of good, but like, we're still a corporation. Everybody don't, don't, get <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, right, well, thank you, Dara so much for, uh, for coming on. It was great show. to be here. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Thank um, you for having me. Um, is, is there anything you'd like to plug? Like if people wanted to um, give your uh, farm some business or oh, yeah. you know, anything um, coming up? So you can find me. I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely on the internet. I wouldn't say I'm aggressively out there. Uh, I am vaguely on the internet at Second Street Farm, either on Facebook or Instagram. It's with the number two, Second Street Farm. And um, I host a market uh, at... The corner of Harrison and Second every Tuesday and Thursday from four to seven, and you can come check out what I grow. You can ask me your burning garden questions. That's my favorite market activity. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward in the future to doing. I don't know. Chris a couple weeks ago was talking about this uh, free food Fridays he's been doing, grilling food outside his house. Wednesdays, um, actually. Yeah. Oh, it's on Wednesdays. Yeah. But maybe it should be Friday. I was going to say for uh, onomatopoeia purposes, you may yeah, want to make it Friday. Maybe I'll switch or no, it. not onomatopoeia. Uh, alliteration. alliteration. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll switch it to Friday. Friday's a, a hot, a hot commodity. It's true. Uh, so it's but hard to But people are schedule. out and about. So yeah. well, maybe if I'll folks do, like, are walking by. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. If it's still just going to be me, maybe I'm going to switch to every other Friday. And then I'll like post a little sign in my window or something. Well, I could give time to it. I can't really give any money, but okay. I could give a few, you know, more right. folks out there. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about it uh, in just we will. a bit. Yeah. yeah. More food. Yeah. Um, all right. So you are going to get Lennon this week. Uh, Hell it's yeah. going to be just him continue. So here actually is going to kind of get a little bit more granular about what it, the Lenin in Marx, Marxism, Leninism means. Um, so Lenin is pulling the double whammy work of arguing against both like liberals and anarchists here. And he's essentially making the argument that 
if you put all of your emphasis on the class struggle element without taking on seriously Marx's notion of the dictatorship of the proletariat, which here, you know, okay, so we're getting into the big significant differences, right? Is like the role of the state. Does it dissolve or does it become a centralizing locus of building power for working people? So I hope you enjoy it. Hell yeah. And I guess uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. Ironweedspod. You can find us on Instagram. Ironweedspod. Shoot us an email at ironweedspod. At (laughs) gmail.com. Oh, goodness gracious. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace. (laughs) Part three. The presentation of the question by Marx in 1852. In 1907, Mehring, in the magazine published extracts from Marx's letter to Wademeyer, dated March 5, 1852. This letter, among other things, contains the following remarkable observation. Quote, And now, as to myself, no credit is due to me for discovering the existence of classes in modern society or the struggle between them. Long before me, bourgeois historians had described the historical development of this class struggle and bourgeois economists the economic anatomy of classes. What I did that was new was to prove, one, that the existence of classes is only bound up with the particular historical phases in the development of production, two, that the class struggle necessarily leads to the dictatorship of the proletariat, and three, that this dictatorship itself only constitutes the transition to the abolition of all classes and to a classless society, end quote. In these words, Marx succeeded in expressing with striking clarity, first, the chief and radical difference between his theory and that of the foremost and most profound thinkers of the bourgeoisie, and secondly, the essence of his theory of the state. It is often said and written that the main point in Marx's theory is the class struggle, but this is wrong, and this wrong notion very often results in an opportunist distortion of Marxism and its falsification in a spirit acceptable to the bourgeoisie. For the theory of class struggle was created not by Marx, but by the bourgeoisie before Marx, and, generally speaking, it is acceptable to the bourgeoisie. Those who recognize only the class struggle are not yet Marxists. They may be found to be still within the bounds of bourgeois thinking and bourgeois politics. To confine Marxism to the theory of the class struggle means curtailing Marxism, distorting it, reducing it to something acceptable to the bourgeoisie. Only he is a Marxist who extends recognition of the class struggle to the recognition of the dictatorship of the proletariat. That is what constitutes the most profound distinction between the Marxist and the ordinary petty, as well as big, bourgeois. This is the touchstone on which the real understanding and recognition of Marxism should be tested. It is not surprising that when the history of Europe brought the working class face-to-face with this question as a practical issue, Not only all the opportunists and reformists, but all the Kotskyites, people who vacillate between reformism and Marxism, proved to be miserable Philistines and petty bourgeois Democrats repudiating the dictatorship of the proletariat. Kotsky's pamphlet, The Dictatorship of the Proletariat, published in August 1918, i.e. long after the first edition of the present book, is a perfect example of petty bourgeois distortion of Marxism and base renunciation of it in deeds while hypocritically recognizing it in words. See my pamphlet, The Proletarian Revolution and the Renegade Kotsky, Petrograd and Moscow, 1918. Opportunism today, 
as represented by its principal spokesman, the ex-Marxist Karl Kotsky, fits in completely with Marx's characterization of the bourgeois position quoted above, for this opportunism limits recognition of the class struggle to the sphere of bourgeois relations. Within this sphere, within its framework, not a single educated liberal will refuse to recognize the class struggle in principle. Opportunism does not extend recognition of the class struggle to the cardinal point, to the period of transition from capitalism to communism, of the overthrow and the complete abolition of the bourgeoisie. In reality, this period inevitably is a period of an unprecedentedly violent class struggle in unprecedentedly acute forms, and, consequently, during this period the state must inevitably be a state that is democratic in a new way, for the proletariat and the propertyless in general, and dictatorial in a new way, against the bourgeoisie. Further, the essence of Marxist theory of the state has been mastered only by those who realize that the dictatorship of a single class is necessary not only for every class society in general, not only for the proletariat which has overthrown the bourgeoisie, but also for the entire historical period which separates capitalism from classless society, from communism. Bourgeois states are most varied in form, but their essence is the same. All these states, whatever their form, in the final analysis are inevitably the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. The transition from capitalism to communism is certainly bound to yield a tremendous abundance and variety of political forms, but the essence will inevitably be the same. The Dictatorship of the Proletariat